It is the first Sunday in February. Did anybody else blink and miss January? I mean, as I looked up yesterday, it's like, it's February. I'm like, where did those 31 days go? I mean, they just like, right on by. And, and for those of you who made New Year's resolutions, how you doing with that? Yeah, I mean, it's like, you know, one twelfth of 2020 is history already. It's like already gone. And, uh, and I don't know about you, but I grew up around some people who would say things like this, okay? Uh, this is life. There is no dress rehearsal. You get one shot. And I'd be like, then I blew it. I mean, if there's only one thing, I mean, I've messed up so much. I mean, honestly, I mean, does anybody else, I mean, we live in Indianapolis, right? The, uh, well, the Indianapolis Metro, we live in Anderson, okay? But we have, we have the Indy 500 coming up in May. And that famous line, gentlemen and ladies, start your engine. Well, every year, everybody gets all geared up in January. Start your engine. It's a new year. And then February hits. Do you know that, that pastors see more people for counseling in February than any other month of the year? I think it has to do in the Midwest with kind of like the fact that the sun goes in hibernation during February, normally. All right. Today the sun's out. We're celebrating. You all look like, hi, next week the sun's down. Half of you will be at home, you know, cold sniffles, all that. Did you ever wish you could get a do-over? I mean, when, when the month of January flies by this fast, when, when life doesn't feel like a, a, a dress rehearsal or it doesn't feel like any other option, it's like it's all just going too fast, do you ever just wish you could just say, hey, could, could I start over? Instead of being like, start my engine, could I just like restart my life? See, I, I, I hear people say those things. And I, and I realize that, you know what, Christianity? Christianity is that place where we get do-overs. It's that place where the entire story, the whole meta-narrative from Genesis to Revelation is a story of restarts because there's nobody perfect. I mean, I know it starts with, in the beginning, God. Well, God's perfect, right? But he created the heavens and the earth and, and all of that. And, it, and he keeps saying, and it looked good, and, and this is good, and this is good. And then people entered. And, and, I mean, tell me the name of somebody in the Old Testament, if you can think of one, who was perfect. I mean, everybody needed a do-over. Everybody needed a restart. I mean, come on, Moses, he had to have a restart. Took him years on the backside of a desert. Oh, I, let, let, let's, let's try Abraham. Hey, Abraham got it all right the first time, right? Yeah, no, can anybody say Ishmael? I mean, King David, man after God's own heart. Surely, pastor, he, he didn't need a restart. Can you say Bathsheba? So every, everybody in the Bible, the whole story of the Bible, except for one guy. There's one, one guy whose story's in the Bible who did not need a restart. You know what his name is? Jesus. And he's the reason that we get a restart. See, the, the fact is, if you try to be perfect, if you try to, to live out your perfection, then the fact is, you're going to only try to do it out of your strength. And the reason Jesus was perfect is not because he was some morally superior person. 
It's because he was 100% human like us, but at the same time, 100% divine unlike us. He was 100% God and 100% human, and there's only been one. And everybody else, everybody else has to have a restart. Which is why John, the beloved disciple, whose writings we're looking at this winter, would write the letter that he wrote to the church in the late first century. Where, as we discovered over these last couple of weeks, he would, he would say things like, that which I've seen, that which I've touched with my own hands, that which I've heard with my own ears, this is what I'm declaring to you. That God is light, in him there's no darkness, and the light came and dwelt among us. It's why John, the beloved disciple, who walked with Jesus when Jesus was perfection on earth, along with his brother James and, and Peter and the other disciples, it's John who, who was in all the places Jesus was. It was John who was in the inner circle, who prayed with him, who cried with him, who watched Jesus die on the cross. It's John who would write these kinds of authentic words to say, you know what, I, I want you to know God cares about you. I've seen him at work, and he's here, and he's here to give you a restart, to give you an opportunity. Because the more you try to ask the question, what would Jesus do? The more you discover that in your human ability, you can't do that. You can try, but, but you're not divine. In fact, the only way a human being can can actually come close to doing what Jesus did is to have a divine entity living in connection to the human. Which is why, which is why John would write these words to the people at the end of the first century near a town called Ephesus who were followers of Jesus. Listen, my little children, don't be offended by that. That's a term of endearment, not a put-down to your maturity. My, my little children, I'm writing these things to you, the things I've seen and touched and heard, so that you may not sin. Stop just a minute. Wait a minute, Pastor. Didn't you just say nobody's perfect? Yeah, I did. And yet, John says he's writing this to us so that we may not sin, so we may not fail. So, so that we may not be broken. Yeah, that's what he's saying. But, but what about David and what about Moses and what about all the other people? And, and most of all, what about me? No matter how I try, that one almost got me. <laughs> For those of you who do not know, our building is wonderfully made. But part of the wonder of its creation is that there is above the platform a, what's referred to as a cloud. In that cloud, there are wasp nests and dirt daubers who hibernate in the winter. When it's colder outside and warmer in here, they prefer to come here. They are drawn to the light, particularly the light off a bald man's head. <laughs> and so there are times when we have adventure. That was one of them. Please forgive me. I, I really don't have a, a, a twitch or something. Right? <laughs> Let me go back because none of us is perfect. You got it? So what, what John is saying 
is look, I'm writing to you so that you will not be broken, so that you will not fail. But, but if anyone does sin, but if anyone does fail, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins, and not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. And by this we know that we have come to know Jesus. If we keep Jesus' commandments. Whoever says, I know Jesus, but does not keep Jesus' commandments is a liar. And the truth is not in them. But whoever keeps Jesus' word, in them truly the love of God is perfected. By this we may be sure that we are in Jesus. Whoever says that they abide in Jesus ought to walk in the same way Jesus walked. Now, if we live in a world where we all need a restart, if we live in a world where, where all of us are going to fail, what John wants us to know and what, what God wants us to know is that, that God created us to live in a better way than the way we're living. What he wants us to know is that God has a purpose for our life. And the purpose for our life is not the sin, not the failure, not the brokenness that we experience. I mean, that's not God's plan. It's not God's purpose for your life that you hurt as deeply as some of us hurt. It's not God's purpose for our life that, that some of us hurt others as deeply as we hurt others. It's not God's purpose for our life that, that, that we have this sense of brokenness both inside us individually and, and quite honestly in the world in which we're living. I mean, have you been on Twitter lately? Have you been on Facebook lately? Have you watched the evening news? Have you talked to your neighbor lately? We are living in a world that is full of brokenness. And I have people all the time say, Pastor, oh, it's getting worse and worse and worse. I'm like, no, no, it's been this bad all along. It's always been this bad. It was this bad in the first century. It was this bad before Jesus came. It was this bad when Moses was here. It was this bad when David was here. It was this bad when all of the Bible story was written. That's why the story was written. It's so that you and I would know that God's plan is better than the way we're running the world. That God's purpose is greater than the purposes we have for the world. That God's purpose is for us to be whole. He created us in his image. You were created, formed in your mother's womb. Humanity had life breathed in by the Spirit of God for the purpose of wholeness, not the purpose of sinfulness, not the purpose of brokenness, which means this phrase that some of us have heard or used in the life of the church, I'm just a sinner saved by grace. No, no, you were made for more than that. You were made for more than your sin. You were made for more than your brokenness. That's why John writes to the church in the first century and why the Spirit of God anointed that passage so it would be included in the Scriptures for us 2,000 years later to say, no, no, listen to me. I'm writing to you so that you will not live in the brokenness, so that you will not live in the dividedness. I'm writing to you so that you may not fail. If you do fail, I just want you to know that's not what you were intended for. I mean, look at the way he says it. 
My little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. God has a plan for your life that does not include the brokenness and the failure you're experiencing. God has a design for your life. He had a, has a plan. And no matter what failure you've experienced, no matter what brokenness you've encountered, he, he has that plan still for you. And what John is telling the early church and telling you and me is that if we will live in a relationship with him, if we, will, if we will understand that he has come to us and he has provided for us and he has a design for us, then, then we, we can live our life the way we were intended to live with wholeness and health. Now, now don't misunderstand me. Wholeness and health doesn't mean you'll never get cancer. Wholeness and health doesn't mean that you'll never have financial struggles. Wholeness and health doesn't, doesn't mean that you're going to name it and claim it and prosper everywhere. No, no, that doesn't mean that. What it means is this, is that no matter what happens in your life, you're going to have a relationship with the one who made you for more. And because he is available to you, then you will now have accessible to you a divine part of the universe that you don't have if you don't know God. If you don't know Jesus. See, when, when John says, I'm writing this to you so that you may not sin, he's not talking about some kind of perfectionism. No, no, he's talking about a relationship. Because this God who has a purpose for your life of wholeness, this same God who has a purpose of wholeness for you is willing, is willing to make a provision for you. He's willing to give you an opportunity to have what you do not have in your humanity, to have what you cannot attain with your own efforts, to have in your life his provision of an advocate, an advocate who offers you wholeness, who offers you an opportunity to discover how you were created to be. I'm writing to you. So you'll know what the plan is. The plan is that you don't have the brokenness and the heartache and the failure. But when you do, I want you to know that there's someone who is for you. Someone who is your advocate. Someone who stands in the gap for you. Someone who takes your pain, your problem, your brokenness and brings it before a source of healing. A source of wholeness. Some, someone who knows you better than you know yourself and who cares about you more than you care for yourself. I really want you to hear me. No matter how old you are, if you are contemplating taking your life, I want you to know you were made for more than that. If you're contemplating ending it all because you think that will be better or you think you're not valuable, understand the God of the universe who made every human being who has ever lived made you and he has a plan for you that he will give to you. He's made provision for you. But the question is whether or not you will accept the provision. Look at the way John said it. If anyone does fail, if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins, and not only for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. Now, I'm going to stop right here for a minute, and we're going to spend a little time. And we're going to understand today, before you leave here, the difference between Christianity and all the other religious systems of the world. See, every religious system has a God. 
Every religious system, even, even an atheistic religious system, yes, that is a religious system, has a God. Oh, they may not refer to it as a supreme being. They may have another different definition. The fact of the matter is every person living serves somebody. And that, that God in every system, including Christianity, that God is a God who is made up of, of both goodness and mercy and wrath and justice. You say, well, Pastor, I've, I, I, I've heard about the bliss of nirvana. No, no, look at how you attain the bliss of nirvana. You attain the bliss of nirvana through your own effort at learning how to attain it and connect with it. Uh, well, the Hindu system and the reincarnation, you know, look, at, look at how the reincarnation happens. It, you, you, you are reincarnated to a higher level of living based on how well you do at the lower level of living. And by the way, if you blow it at one level, you don't go up, you go back. And so the whole understanding is one based on a God who may punish you. I hear people tell them, well, I couldn't believe in Christianity. How could I believe in a God that you claim is love and grace and mercy who condemns people to a fiery hell? How can you believe in a God who makes you a cow? How can you believe in a God who says, if you don't learn the secrets, you can't believe, you can't become more. I know I'm oversimplifying the study of the world's religions, but I'm also bringing to focus for you the one reality that Christianity, Christianity is the only, the only religious system that offers you a way for the appeasement of the wrath of God to be turned into the favor of God by a manner that is not of your own action. Someone else paid the price. That's why John says we have an advocate, Jesus the righteous. Sometimes I have people say, well, you're too much about Jesus. No, you can't be too much about Jesus. Jesus is the difference. Jesus is the one who makes the difference. That's why the exclusive claims of Christ are so central to the Christian faith and why those are the things that make Christianity the only religious system in which the wrath of a judging God actually is satisfied, and it's satisfied by this word. We're gonna have fun today. I want you to look at this word, propitiation. Can you spell that? To close your eyes, see if you can spell it. How many of you, just to show of hands, did this first service, how many of you have used the word propitiation in a sentence in the last week? Okay, I, I got a couple of religious studies majors at the university. Anybody else? How, how many of you non-religious studies majors have used the word propitiation in your speech in the last year? Yeah, yeah that's what I thought, okay? So here's what I want you to do. I mean, it's church. We need to settle something. I told you we're going to settle this question about Christianity versus other religions and this restart of our life. So what I want you to do is I want you to turn, because propitiation is a word. That, by the way, here's the fun part about this word. All right? This is one of those cool words. It's a word that it's Greek meaning, because you do know the New Testament was written in Greek, right? So the Greek meaning of the Greek word that's translated propitiation and the English meaning of the English word propitiation the meaning is the same. You don't, you, know, you don't have to like learn Greek to understand the meaning. 
The English definition is the same as, so what I'd like you to do without Googling it is turn to the person next to you. It's okay to talk in church today. Turn to the person next to you and say, I, I think this is what propitiation means, all right? I mean, give it your best shot. Come on, turn, talk to them, figure out what, what does propitiation mean? What do you think this word means? I mean, look at that word. Okay, I've given you long enough, three of you have at least Googled it, I know, all right? Now here's what, for those of you who do Google it, you will also find this. You'll find that this word propitiation was used in the English language quite frequently up until about 200 years ago. And then in the last 50 years, it's just like fallen out of use. No, nobody uses this word. And yet, it, it's the most important word you're going to hear maybe in 2020. Because here's what propitiation means. In fact, I, I wrote it down so I could read it to you and you wouldn't think I was making it up, all right? I want you to hear the definition of this word. It means a sacrifice that bears a God's wrath and turns it into favor. I want to say that again. Propitiation means a sacrifice that bears a God's wrath and turns that wrath into favor. You understand why it's so important? No other religious system offers a propitiation. Every other religious system requires you and me, human beings all over the face of the earth, to learn or do something that will gain the favor. It requires us to absorb the wrath of God and then try to earn the favor of God. But Christianity, Christianity says, unlike any other system of thought, that the same God who has a purpose for our wholeness, this God has a, a provision for us. His name is Jesus Christ. You see, to be an advocate doesn't just mean to stand and say, oh, I think you ought to do better for them. I think you ought to do better for them. No, that, that, an advocate does that. But Jesus is more than an advocate. He is Jesus, the righteous one, the only perfect one. And Jesus is the one who said, I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to pay the price. And it's not like when some of you take somebody to lunch, you say, out of my resources, I'm going to pay for your lunch because I'm a good person. No, no. Jesus said, I am the payment. I am the propitiation. I will be the sacrifice. I will take all the wrath of God and I will turn it into the love of God. I will take all of your failure. I will take all of your sinfulness. I will take all of your hatred. I will take all of your brokenness. I will take all of your anger. I will take all of the stuff and I will pay the price for what you've done. And even the things you didn't even think to do, but you could have done. I will sacrifice myself. I will make the payment. Jesus, our advocate, is our advocate because he's our propitiation. He is the one who paid the price. God has made provision for you through Jesus. 
That is the difference between Christianity and any other religious system. And we've forgotten about the word. We've forgotten about the meaning. We've forgotten that Christianity offers people who cannot help themselves the only provision for the help that they need, the propitiation of Jesus. That he is the one who did what we couldn't do for ourselves. That's why God made the provision. That, that's, that's why we've got to recapture the word. Now, your assignment for this week is to use the word propitiation in four sentences. No, I'm just, I'm just teasing. In fact, if you walk up to some of your friends and neighbors and go, well, I just want to tell you about the Jesus, the propitiation, and they're going to look at you like, what? But here's what John knew and what we're called to know. That those of us who have been changed by Jesus not only experience the provision God's made in Jesus, but we get to see the passion of God for our life. You see, God's passion for our life is that we get to live in a relationship with him. A relationship of obedience because of the propitiation, because of the sacrifice that Jesus made, because Jesus paid that price, we get a restart. And in the restart, we get an opportunity to live up to the purpose for which we were created, to live into the design God has for our life, and to live with the confidence of knowing that even when we fail, this person who paid the price paid it once and for all. There's an old gospel song. I'm not really sure of who the, the author is, but I know the phrase stayed in my mind forever. I will never forget this phrase because it gave me such a mental picture. It simply said these words. When he was on the cross, I was on his mind. When Jesus was on the cross, you were on his mind. And for me, the first time I heard it, I was like, whoa, wait a minute. He's there hanging on a cross, blood flowing out of his body, life leaving his body, and I'm on his mind? It feels a little narcissistic to say that. It feels a little self-centered to say that. And then I realized every person who ever lived, once I understood propitiation, once I understood the sacrifice, the payment that he made, the fact of the matter is when Jesus died on the cross, everybody was on his mind. And you and I, we're a part of everybody. And what Jesus did for you and what Jesus did for me was what I couldn't do for myself and what you can't do for yourself. See, he doesn't, he doesn't offer to make you perfect. He offers to make you perfected. Now, there's somebody going, Pastor, your semantics. No, 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 it's not. It's really important. You see, if you were perfect, then you'd be walking around like, I don't need anybody. See, the difference in perfect and perfected is that perfect is filled with arrogance and perfected is filled with humility. And Jesus came because God wanted to make a provision and God had a passion, a passion for you and me and every person to live in a relationship with him, a relationship marked by 
obedience. Look. And by this we know that we have come to know Jesus if we keep his commandments. Now, before some of you go quoting me all ten commandments like the rich young ruler and telling me how you've kept them all since you were a youth, I want to remind you that Jesus said there were just two greatest commandments. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And love your neighbor as yourself. You see, what, what this God who has a purpose for your life wants to do, what this God who has a, made a provision for, for your life wants you to know is that his passion is that you have a relationship with him. And the way you know if you really have a relationship with him is if you value what he valued. And what he valued was loving God and loving others. With everything you've got, whoever says, I know him, but does not keep Jesus' commandments is a liar. And the truth is not in them. But whoever keeps Jesus' word, in him truly the love of God is perfected. The restart we're longing for is available because Jesus is the propitiation for our sin, our failure, our brokenness. And he is the propitiation because that gives the provision for God's purpose in your life. The God of the universe is passionate about you. Passionate about your living. Passionate about your loving. Passionate about your forgiveness. Because he loves you enough to die for you. And that's why his purpose and his provision and his passion all come together to make a promise. And that promise is that your life can be marked by love. That your life can be like his life. Oh, you won't be perfect. You won't walk on water. You probably won't tell somebody who's lame to walk and have them walk. But you will be able to love people in the way you were loved by God you will be able to find wholeness for your pain, for your brokenness, for your failure, the way Jesus provided it for all of us. He says it like this, John does. By this we may know that we are in Jesus. Whoever says they abide in Jesus ought to walk in the same way Jesus walked the same way in which Jesus walked it doesn't mean you're going to be 100% divine you are 100% human and in your 100% humanity you're going to fail and you're going to sin 
But when you accept that the purpose of God is for your wholeness and the provision of God is made through Jesus paying the price for your forgiveness to turn the wrath of God into the favor of God, the love of God, which no other person and no other system of thought can do. Please understand that. There is no other system of thought. There is no other religious system which can allow you to head into the favor of God. When that happens, you have to know that God's love for you is his promise for you. That's his passion. He wants to live in a relationship with you.